This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's late December. We're ready to kick 2017 in the ass and show it to the door. But not before Love That Album podcast brings you what was musically great about the year. Earlier this month, Morris spoke with the music scribes and broadcasters about the albums that rocked their world. But now he calls in the big guns. He is joined by LTA regular Eric Reanimator and his See Here podcast partner Tim Merrill for the annual discussion about the favourite first-time listens for the year. The gents share with you all the platters that matter. They each select the five best albums they've heard for the first time in 2017, some released this year and some older gems they only just discovered. So grab a beverage, a pen and paper and dig on the music recommendations that leave all the so-called cool websites in the dust. listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Episode 107 of Love That Album Podcast. As we record this, it's December 2017, which must mean that it's time for the end of year discussion of favorite first time listens of the year. And joining me to have this discussion, I have two very regular podcasting friends of mine. On the left side of my Skype screen, I have my co-host of the See Here podcast, Mr. Tim Merrill. Howdy. And on the right side of my screen, I have the man who contributes a segment every uh, regular Love That Album podcast, the album I love, and he has his own franchise of Love That Album in Love That Album, the compilation edition, Mr. Eric Reanimator. Good evening to you, Eric. Hello, hello. 
and we're recording this on December 24th or 25th, depending on the uh, side of the planet that we're on. We're here to make sure that your ear holes are full of good recommendations. We're giving up the Christmas day as we would to uh, make sure that you have lots of wonderful music recommendations. What we'll do is we're going to go just to a very quick break. Then we'll come back and we'll get this started. We're going to go sort of like, you know, one, one, one. Each have five recommendations for you that we'll talk about in a little bit of detail. And then at the end, we'll also throw in some other ideas for albums that didn't quite make the five that we wanted to talk about in depth, but just things that we still think are worthy of your attention. You're listening to Love That Album, episode 107. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash lovethatalbum and start a music-related discussion. Hello, goodbye. We are all here today, all together now, to give you all the best. Take it away. Samwells presents Paul or Nothing, the place to get all your Paul McCartney all of the time. Following on from his hit Tom Waits podcast, Down in the Hole, come join Sam as he reviews Paul McCartney's entire life, discography, filmography, and geek history after the titanic breakup of the Beatles in 1970. You may have heard of them. Check out the extensive range of interviews with all manner of McCartney fans, scholars and collaborators. And yeah, for those of you still not convinced, Morris is even on an episode. Find us on iTunes and all good podcast apps by tapping in Paul or Nothing and clicking the subscribe button. For more information on the show and Mackie himself, follow us on Twitter at McCartneyPod, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com and if that's not enough, you can even check out the sister blog for even more Paul at www.paulmccartneypod.com wordpress.com peace and love peace and love and we're back Morris here Tim over there Eric even further away over there and we're here to talk to you about our favourite albums of 2017 that we heard for the first time and just in case this is your first time hearing this particular type of the program the idea is we don't want to limit ourselves to albums that came out this year they're certainly included but we want to talk about albums that we heard for the first time this year so there can be 2017 albums they can be albums from 1935 it does not matter we just want to let you know what was new in our world and hopefully you may follow up on some or all of these and the beautiful thing about the three of us being is we're all very diverse in our musical tastes so uh, if there's something that I talk about that you're thinking nah not for me there's bound to be something that Tim or Eric will talk about that will be for you so uh, let's start this go around and uh, Tim we'll start with you what's uh, the first album you want to talk about all right this one's kind of a surprise for me and actually there's a label that i've been following for quite a while now called castle faith based out of san francisco i think and it was run by john dwyer from a band the ocs we're going to get to a little later and he's put out so many amazing different little bands or things that's really perked his ears and one of the things that he put out in 2011 was actually a local band from your neck of the woods from melbourne a band called total control and they put out this album called Hengi Beat. Drink into touch, out of the 
it's amazing. I mean, this album is almost like if Suicide, the New York 70s art band, were more of a rock band. Okay. Or if, or if Suicide were more kind of mixed with San Francisco 70s punk era, screamers, crime, that kind of thing, you know, uh, or Devo even. But I love this. I This was really a lot of fun for me and more like keyboardy, uh, noisier, punky stuff. But like I say, more, more of a nod to kind of like the the key like I say like the more of the uh, the seventies San Francisco sound and I, I mean I love this it was great so if you landed in two thousand and eleven and heard this music would you actually think that you were back in the late seventies is it sort of dictated by the late nineteen seventies sound or just sort of a nod in its direction no uh, it, it's basically just taking what the influences of like I say like the, that whole San Francisco era like this the early stages of, of, of San Francisco American punk mm-hmm. and taking a lot of that and just running with it I mean right. it, you know they're not trying to ape anything but it's it's just kind of like taking a nod to like bands like chrome the screamers and just kind of the more experimental noisy electronic punk it's just a really really fun record i love i love this album token i mean the hangy beat it was just great just caught me by surprise so tim i've really gotten into men without hats this year which i feel are in that same kind of uh, aggressive punky electro pop kind of thing would this fit with that you mean the canadian men without hats yes no 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 they they were far more radio accessible. This is more you know noisier end stuff, but it's still a hell of a lot of fun. This is more college radio friendly instead of more more pop sensibility. Okay, well I, you mentioned Devo, who definitely were also very pop. And oh, I know, I but I but I I'm, I'm thinking more like the early like Are We Not Men kind of yeah, like okay. you know, yeah. instead instead of the later Devo. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I, I really recommend this album uh, and the band Total Control. What they're doing is so much of my favorite music is like not just music that apes the past, but how they actually take the influences of the past and add what they want to do with it on their own. You know, I mean, it's not just, you know, a tribute act. It's something where they, you know, they take the colors from a palette that's already existed and painted their own pictures with it. It's just fantastic. Nice. And, and you reckon they're out of my backyard? Yep, they're out in Melbourne. Melbourne-based band since 2008. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, have to look and see whether they're still doing the rounds. Do, do you know if they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, oh. they're still playing. Oh, cool. yeah, they're still around. Very good. All right, Eric, your first choice of the day. Okay. Well, speaking of 1970s punk rock, my first choice is the latest album by a classic punk band who uh, were around in the 70s who didn't really get their due until the 1980s, famously uh, told Malcolm McLaren to piss off because he wouldn't buy them a round of beers. <laughs> and that would be uh, Coxbearer in their album Forever. I know you and you want to be here Not being around is what you most fear You know me and I feel the same Like it's cruel, this ain't no game doesn't have the energy and it doesn't have the oh what's the word the um maybe the bite or the the relevance of their early work like shock troops but is a very good accessible street punk album that's a bunch of old guys who aren't trying to sing about being young but are much more interested 
in reflecting their life experience, talking about where they've been. And it's not so much bragging as acknowledging their roots, acknowledging the family that's built up around them. And it's just a great straight ahead album. It's the kind of thing I throw in in the car and just kind of bop along to as I'm driving around town. So musically, how has it evolved from those early, more aggressive, younger days? Is it more lyrically that's different, or is it musically that's yeah, well, the, in a different direction? The, the lyrics are early on with Coxbury were very socio-political. They were about police and radio and, you know, the the society they were living in. And this is much more focused on, I would say, culture and family as far as having a, a a group of of like-minded people around you in addition to your actual family. As far as the musicianship goes, it's still that same wheelhouse, basic, street punk, you can call it oi if you want. It's fast, it's it's kind of poppy, there's a good amount of sing-alongs, it's anthemic, and yeah, it's just it's just uh, one of the cases of a band that's been around for however long, and and this may well be their final album. Is this so the same, we will same lineup from uh, from the early days? I think it's I think it's mainly the same lineup. I'm not sure if it's exactly the same lineup, but I know that the majority of the the main players from the the original iteration of the band have been with the current lineup uh, or back with the current lineup for quite some time. So they haven't drifted too far away from their initial personnel, or at least the personnel that, that they had in the in the 80s when they were at their peak. I saw an interview once with Charlie Harper from the UK Subs, and he had a great line. He said, you know, back when we started, we were singing, we're going to do it. He said, and now we're singing, we did it. Yep. And, and then that's basically what you're saying about Coxbar is that, you know, like you're saying, it's not bragging. It's basically saying, you know, we had intentions when we were young and now this is where our intentions brought us to be. There's a maturity to it. Yeah, right. there's a maturity. Right. As And when I say maturity, I mean reflectiveness. I mean right. understanding that you're not 23 anymore. Being able to look back and see and uh, not try to be something that you're not. And acknowledge right. that, you know, you might not have been the biggest band in the world, but, you know, you sure. built this this following. And, and they have a major following around the world. They still tour. I mean, they oh, yeah. they're, they have a huge cult following. They're probably the band with the, of that era with the biggest cult following that p- most people don't know of. Right. Talking about that sort of theme of uh, growing old and or growing older and realizing, you know, what you've achieved and, but realizing that you're not young anymore and uh, just sort of living with what you've done. Tim, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with either of the early Catfish albums, you know, when Don Walker was going by the moniker Catfish. There's a song on the second album, Ruby, called The Year That He Was Cool. And right. it tells a story of, you know, um, set in a small surfing town and this guy was the town cool guy he laid all the girls and he was the guy who everyone envied then they all grew older and they all moved away and did what they had to do and they came back and he's still in that town and he has right. his mind hasn't moved on it's still 40 years ago and right just this whole story you know if talking about Cox Sparrow and the other bands who they've accepted right we're not what we were you know 30 40 years ago we're not those young men but we can still be who we are now if you can't accept it you know it can be pretty pathetic I mean like you see videos for example not to go off on a tangent but like the British first uh, wave black metal band Venom Mm. when they came out and they were like everyone's like holy shit 
And now you see these guys, and they're in their mid-50s, and they're like, Bleh! you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, Give it up. Give it up, dudes. <laughs> not not to get too far off track, but we're, we're in a cultural moment now where uh, if you look at what's going on with this new Star Wars film and putting aside how people reacted to it as a personal reaction, that film at its core is talking about the issues of moving ahead from the past and the value right. of the past and not clinging to the past. And right. I have another album I'm going to talk about coming up that, that also plays into that with a reflection on the past. Maybe that's, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, in the Western world especially, maybe that's what is in the, the zeitgeist at the moment. And we're seeing some people do it with grace and maturity, and we're definitely seeing some people that are, you know, still think it's 30 years ago and acting like they did 30 years ago, and they're reaping what they sow. When they're partying like it's 1999, but it's 20 years into the future. Yep. You know, as the old song used to say, you know, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll talk about my first album of the show. Now, this is an album that I've actually talked about on a previous episode, but I really felt it was worthy of another mention. This is one of my five favorite albums of the year. Earlier on this year, I had the extremely good fortune to go with my family to Montreal Jazz Festival and also you know, another couple of places while we were there and get to meet all sorts of wonderful people. In Montreal, one of the highlight shows for me was to see a uh, songwriter, singer-songwriter performer who I'd never heard of before, but that's a beauty of a festival where you can just wander around and take in new sounds, new performers, your new favorite performers. And one of the most amazing shows was an outdoor thing in the Place des Arts. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, by a singer-songwriter called Sienna Darlin. my extremely good fortune. I sent her a, an email and invited her to come on to Love That Album in August of 2017 and I was really, really pleased when she accepted. In case you hadn't heard that episode, Sienna's originally out of British Columbia but spends most of her time nowadays between Toronto and Montreal. She trained as a jazz musician at McGill's University in Montreal and she's recorded a number of albums ranging from, sort of, I guess, traditional ballad jazz in the Julie London sort of vein. I think she's even done a cover version of Crimea River somewhere. The, oh. last, the last couple of albums, and Ice Age Paradise in particular, tends to use jazz to colour the songs rather than dictate them stylistically what they are. It combines traditional instrumental jazz ensemble, drums, double bass, guitar and piano, but using a very tasteful string section. These guys are amazing players. They had the, the charts and they recorded all their parts like within two days. I can't fathom that. Uh, her double bass player, a guy called Andrew Downing, wrote these gorgeous arrangements for the strings. The songs on the album, they're just beautiful songs of pain and sadness, but never really feel too melancholic. There's not millions of notes. The songs, they just 
breathe. That's the tastefulness of the arrangements. Sienna's voice is just absolutely gorgeous. And there's a theme going on here without it being explicit. There's a theme of winter. I mean, you look at the front cover, it's called Ice Age Paradise, but the songs are not necessarily explicitly about winter, but you know, about relationships gone cold and you know, how emotions between people have been frozen. I just really am so well taken with this album. And for me, the two highlights of the album, there's uh, the opening cut, a song called Drifting Daydream. It has this A major, A minor chord alteration going back and forth over a finger pick guitar pattern. Uh, and it just builds up and up to a really intense finish. And then it just slowly sort of fades out with the, the guitar arpeggio. Oh. It's just beautiful. And the other song that I really 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 love on the album i love it all but the other highlight i wanted to point out was a song called venezia which was written by her father a man called lane darlin who i was also very privileged when i called sienna that she was with her father who's an amazing fine artist but he's also a great songwriter as well and they sang this song for venezia together on the album he's just a lovely lovely man and obviously very proud of what his daughter sienna has accomplished so it was just nice to hear the two of them duetting on this song but yeah an absolutely beautiful album ice age paradise came out in 2016 if uh, you're interested in tracking down a copy i think if you can look for uh, sienna darlin at Bandcamp, you can originally i think it was only available as a download but she's now made cds and records they're not vinyls, folks. They're records. Uh, you can order a record or a CD, or you can do the uh, modern way of the download either way, but the music is really well worth your time. and It's a good headphone listen as well. So, um, huh. um, yeah, I think you might dig this, Tim. Just, yeah, really gorgeous uh, stuff. I'm going to check it out. I'm definitely going to check that out. All right, well, Tim, your second choice for the show. Okay, this one was a bit of a surprise. What if I said to you, what would you think the odds of success uh, would be for a band that came back after 30 years to release a new album? The question is, do they come back after 30 years to release a great album? Well, indeed they did. Surprised the shit out of me because I thought this band was long gone. And that is the Dream Syndicate. Oh, wow. And new album, How Did I Get Here? kind of guessing this was going to be on your list why uh just because of i I see it getting a lot of love from people that have listened to the kind of stuff you have listened to your background so you know guys guys our age who were plugged into the scene back in the that late 80s early 90s so sure sure but no i mean i was actually listening to uh kcrw california radio online and i just happened to hear the the latest track off the album and i was like who the hell is this and then i went and dug it out and i was like whoa it's a dream syndicate where where, where did this come from man it was 30 years ago since they've released their last album and it's a different band well not not completely different i mean they've changed players and they have, people have switched instruments but it's mainly just steve Wynn, his drummer and a new guitarist i think but it's amazing man i think morris you would really glom onto this big time because nice. 
it, it's just a total like good old psychedelic pop that reminds me of like early psych furs some of it right i remember hearing some dream syndicate or seeing clips on this show rock arena that used to be late night on abc television back in the 80s so yeah right i, I did not know that they were a going concern uh, this year oh yeah but what's incredible about it is the fact that you know for a band that's been together i mean they were around then they started around the time of like rem and rem's long gone and i mean like you know there's a lot of bands that started out around that time that are just completely null and void now and i mean you figure for that amount of time that bands would really sound different or you're you know you you know not just maturing but you know your your sound would kind of start to uh you know drift from what you know from where you originally started but with them it's just always been consistently great and i don't know if i can attribute that just to steve Wynn, the band or what but i think it's amazing that after so many years that they can still continue to put out really really solid dreamy psychedelic pop that i I just loved it was just like cotton candy for your ears was there much fuss about it in radio or, or in the press with the press sort of falling over themselves to talk about the second coming dream syndicate were never a really famous band i mean they never really had the accolades i mean if you if you knew who they were you, you knew who they were and i mean yep. they got played on college radio but i think a lot of people were like 30 years later really oh i don't know you know and then and then when you see you know you hear what they're they put out it's just like damn but i mean it's kind of like almost like when the stone roses and a lot of those bands in the you know from um manchester you know when they got back together after so many years and everybody was just like you know okay you know are they still going to be able to pick up where they left off and and some of them did and some of them didn't you know it's that kind of thing no man i i really dug this whole album i just thought like this was perfect i I really loved it were you a fan eric because was that part of Um, you know the paisley underground they were on the fringe of the paisley underground for sure they were on enigma records they were part of that whole scene and i want to say paul cutler was in that band was he not tim yeah i think so who um produced Jet Blackberries and right. he was in 45 Grave yeah. and they were all part of that scene and of course the the biggest name band to come out of that scene was the Bangles followed by Mazzy Star right. so that's kind of the wheelhouse and not the pop Bangles but the early psych kind of surfy garage stuff and uh, this new Dream Syndicate is one that I'd heard about coming out but I have not gotten around to listening to there's been way too many of those uh, albums from this year we'll talk about that at the end that are on my list of things to check out that I just haven't gotten to. All right. You want to uh, give us the second album that you have listened to that you uh, want sure. to talk about? Speaking of the 1980s, um, one of the things I've been doing a lot this year is going to uh, thrift stores and library book sales. And I was at a library book sale in a town west of here. That's only notable because it's where Jeff Daniels, the actor, lives. And uh, their library was having a bag sale, which you pay $5 to fill a bag. And I found a bunch of books, and I wandered over to the CDs, and I saw a bunch of stuff. One of the things I grabbed, believe it or not, this is probably the most out there. You know, I never would have t- thought this would be talked about on Love That Album, called Beyond the Blue Neon by George Strait. you got to have an ace in the hole A little secret that nobody knows Life is a gamble, a game we all play you need to save something for a rainy day You've got to learn to play your cards right If you expect to win in life Don't put it all on the line for just one roll You've got to have an ace in the hole 
It's from 1989, and it is a Nashville new country record from that era. And what I grabbed onto about it was two things. One is that title is one of the most noir titles I've heard in a long time. <laughs> just just that suggestion of beyond the blue knee. I, it, it totally sounds like a cop on the edge film from, you know, 91 or something. The other thing is, while I don't care for his straight up 80s country ballad kind of tunes, he does a really good job with the, the more Western swing that, you know, Asleep at the Wheel, Commander Cody, Bob Wills kind of sound. Right. That's, that's what I've always loved. You know, I, I can take or leave the syrupy ballads, but, you know, that Western swing's got an energy to it. And there's a reason that it kind of paralleled the, the coming of punk rock and, and, you know, in its revival in the early 70s in America. Yeah, it's just a, it's a great album. I picked up a couple of his other records that really, you know, there's a couple songs in each one. But, but this one, especially the title track, just really hooked me in, and I, I just really enjoyed it. Is it all original material, or is it paying tribute to Bob Will? And, uh... No, it's, it's original material as far as I can tell, and by original material, I mean then-current stuff that was, that was written by songwriters in Nashville. I don't see any covers or right. didn't recognize anything as being part of the, the Western swing movement. You know, there's a lot of genres of music out there that I really don't care for, but it, it's a matter of finding the artist or the, the part of that genre that works for you. I'm certainly wanting to uh, explore a bit more down the Western swing path. I bought myself a, a Bob Wills uh, anthology many years mm-hmm. ago. And musically, I just absolutely fell in love with it. But what I couldn't get over was every other song that was that uh, Mickey Mouse. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, once, once or twice, okay. But every other song, uh, it almost rendered the music unlistenable to me, which was a real shame. I don't know if you wanted to sort of say it was uh, country music being played by jazz musicians or jazz music being played by country musicians. But either way, it just... Yet that energy that I know is an expression you like to uh, sort of refer to uh, great music, it certainly mm-hmm. had that and, and it thrilled me a lot. And I just thought if I can find a, a good anthology of Western swing where there's not that annoying Mickey Mouse sound, I'm, I'm down for it. There, there was a film which I, uh, I've tried to uh, get you to watch, Tim, called Praise, an Australian film from right. the late 90s. And they use early on in the film... Now, I'm, I'm having a brain fart moment as to who sings it. It's that song, uh, Smoke, 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 That Cigarette. And that's... A, oh, yeah, yeah. That's a great, yeah, Western, swing, about. great Western swing. So so probably your best bet is going to be checking out either Ann Arbor's own Commander Cody and his last planet airmen who do that song, who do Smoke, 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 or Sleep at the Wheel from the early 70s, right. which were the, the two big bands that were part of that revival of Western swing. You had bands yeah. like uh, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, too. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that were around that time. And there's some Bob Will stuff from the 70s towards the end of his life that might be a little better. Because that, that vocal thing you're talking about, I believe that's Tommy Duncan, the, the singer. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know how long he was with them. So, I mean, it, it's a genre that that's underexposed and that it feels like, I mean, it, I was really surprised to pop in this George Strait CD and, and start hearing stuff that's definitely Western swing focused or, or honky tonk is, is another way to, to say it because it kind of bleeds into that right. sound which was country in the 40s and 50s. I'll go to my second pick for the program. This is an old one. Well, I'm cheating a little bit. It's a two first, two albums out in 1971. You remember like in, I think, the early 80s or mid 80s <coughs> where CBS Records started releasing their 70s back catalogue at a cheaper price, but with you know, as a two for the price of one type deal. Yeah, yeah. 
So this is one of those things. I went with my good buddy Adam to newly opened secondhand record store in his area. And there's a lot of interesting stuff going there, not too expensively. And you know how there's always an artist that you know you should be listening to and you think, yeah, I could get into him, but you just never bothered. Well, for me, one of those artists was Nils Lofgren. And, oh, yeah. And yeah, I knew he was great and I knew he was important and all that. And But I always knew him as the side musician for Neil Young or the side musician for Bruce Springsteen. In fact, I'd even right. seen him perform live live twice with the E Street Band and I knew what a great musician he was but apart from a friend of mine Peter in the early 90s playing me a bit of an album called Silver Lining which at the time didn't really do so much for me but while I was in this second-hand record store I saw that they had a twofer in really really good condition of his band before he sort of went out in his own name the band was called Grin and the two albums in this set the eponymously titled Grin and another album called One Plus One. expecting a whole heap but boy was I rewarded what I love about this album there's a stylistic sense of adventure that his employers you know Neil Young and Bruce Springsteen might have adopted across multiple albums but he was going all over the place thinking I'm going to try a little bit of this I'm going to try a little bit of that and yet it still sounds cohesive Uh, the other members of Grin there's a fellow called Bob Gordon on bass and Bob Burbrick on drums and they can go from tender to tough to groove based right across the album uh, they'd probably be lumped in with the Americana description but I don't think that's really accurate and it's probably a little bit simplistic they just sound like albums that were recorded in 1971 it's a lot of blues based rock but there's also a lot of other things going on there so I just want to give a couple of examples Is on the first album there's a song called We All Sung Together and it just has this you know, bright sort of melodic poppy feel that would not have gone out of place maybe on an early Todd Rundgren album I think there's a song called I Had Too Much Miss Daisy that sounds like a small faces song like a, a big sort of <laughs> blues energy rave up and I'm not sure whether it's Nils himself or whether it's Bob Burbrick by the end who is screaming the lyrics till they're hoarse it's really frantic sort of thing I just absolutely love it on the One Plus One album there's a song called Slippery Fingers which is the sort of country funk that makes you think it must have been written by Robbie Robertson and the band, but no, it's a Lovgren track, and I imagine that Robbie Robertson and Levon Helm would have been big fans of this. The, the final song on that album is the song called Soft Fun, and it's just a gorgeous piano-based ballad. It's uncomplicated orchestration that's added to the sort of thing that you might have heard, I guess, on Neil Young's Harvest. And I just love the diversity of these albums, but he never forgets that the songwriting you have to have a great song it's you know not just about the style the the substance is there but he's giving you lots of style as well going all over the place yet the album sound cohesive and i'm so thrilled that i just went to the shop and found these albums because i I might have kept on going and completely ignored nils as a uh, performer in his own right i mean it looks like he is still sort of like getting out and 
you know, between E Street Band tours, he's still going out on his own and recording new material of his own. So I'm probably going to do a bit of a search through the back catalogue and see if I can find you know, what the best albums are. But it, it was a real great discovery on my part this year to, uh, to find these. I'm so thrilled. You've been Nils fan then, so right, Tim? Oh, yeah. For a long time. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, I, he had played with so many people, though, not just Neil and, and Springsteen. He was a guy that I think that was really overlooked big time. Mm-hmm. Well, what's nice is that people that are big uh, Springsteen fanatics will go and pour through everybody in his band and go through it and, and, you know, and have these happy accidents of discovering all the past. And that's a great thing. Even people that aren't music files can just wreck it. Oh, I, I know that name, you know, like, and then they'll, they'll go through like the stacks and suddenly, you know, wow. No, I, I had no idea. That's the amazing thing, because I mean, I know like Clarence Clemens put out a solo album somewhere in there, and Miami Steve Van Zant has done yep. some stuff on the side. But Nils Lofgren came into that band already as an established songwriter, established for artist, right? Many, many years ago, all the the other guys, no offense to them, but they came out with these things. Is like, well, you know, I've learned how to write a song or two, and it was a side right. project. But Nils Lofgren, really, he came in as an equal to Springsteen. This is not to say which, you know, there are some people might like Bruce better, some people might like Nils better, but right. the fact is they're both songwriters, and they both started out at the same time. I mean, when you look at it, Nils I Lofgren would, uh... reco- recorded his albums before Springsteen recorded Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, so he'd been on the scene right. even longer than Bruce had. I would put Lofgren along the side of somebody like Jackson Brown. Sure, sure, I can see that. And like, just in the sense of singer-songwriter and, you know, and then having his own band and, and you know, and then being a, being a studio guy, you know, and yeah, totally. He must have absolutely no ego to uh, sort of say, right, well, look, I'm, I'm happy to work my tail off in the Springsteen band, and it's not even like in a, in a concert where Bruce will say, hey, well, Nils is going to do a couple of his songs for you, which he could quite easily do, but right. they, they don't do that, and Nils just says, no, don't worry, look, while I'm with you, I'm for your music, and then when we're off tour, I'll go do my own thing, and really, that's a huge thing, I don't know that there'd be many performers out there who'd keep their own ego in check to do that, so anyway, oh, yeah. great albums, One Plus One and Grin from the band Grin, but actually the, the two for that I bought, it actually did put Nils Lofgren's name at the top, just so in case you didn't know, well, and you're now familiar with the name, well, yeah, get these early albums, but yeah, really, technically, the band is Grin. Search it out. All right, we're going to go to a quick break and then come back with our next pair of choices each. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. You're listening to Love That Up 107. I'm Jack. And I'm Campbell. And this is a promo for our podcast, Track by Track, no, 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 with no, Campbell and Jack. You're not supposed to say it's a promo. You're just supposed to say your, like, your favourite things about the, about the show. You mean like the fact that we discuss albums track by track, ranging from the luscious four-part harmonies of the Beach Boys to the political metal rage of System of the Down? Well, yeah, but that's one way of saying it. Well, as good as that is, Campbell, where can people go to find the show? Well, we're on iTunes, or you can simply just contact us on Facebook under the name Track by Track with Campbell and Jack. Well, I think that wraps up this promo quite nicely. You're not supposed to say it's a promo! Track by Track with Campbell and Jack. Now available for download on iTunes. And we're back from break. Hope you're all coffeeed up and 
ready to go with our next set of suggestions. So, uh, Tim, your third album you wish to talk about. All right. Well, this isn't any in any order from number one to uh, whatever, but uh, you guys were talking earlier about country, and there was a new album that came out this year that really kicked my ass three ways to Sunday, and I was really surprised by it. The young performer, her name's uh, Sarah Shook, and her band's The Disarmers. My baby left me for the northern tree With a wintry wind that blows Oh, I wait at home Where time is ever fast so slow For some reason, I was also thinking that you would be all over this one. Wow, you're nailing me, Eric. Uh, the album Sidelong, and this album really blew my mind because it's like she's a young performer, but she's got this whole thing, you know, right down to the drinking, fucking, and fighting, and, and losing your heart, you know, on the barroom floor. She's almost like Johnny Paycheck in a young, thin LGBT girl, woman. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's awesome, you know, that they put it first and in, in front up there that, you know, it's like we support, you know, LGBT and everybody equality and it's just amazing but this music man is authentic as it gets i mean like i got chills because like this is going back to old like shit kicker country you know i mean like this is like you know the real deal and then there's so many young performers today that are trying to kind of ape all of the bad boy country of the you know the late 60s and you know, the 70s but this is the real deal there's one track that i heard nothing feels right but doing wrong it's just amazing i mean the whole album just floored me so i i heard a lot of that album because of the Mad at Dad podcast, which is a podcast I listen to that's hosted by Michael Butler of the band it was American Heartbreak. He's an old punk guy, and he does the Rock and Roll Geek podcast. Right, yeah, that, I thought I recognized the name. Yep, yep, Rock and Roll. And then Dave Slusher of the Evil Genius Chronicles, which was like the sixth podcast to appear online back, you know, 13 years ago or whatever it was, and is, I believe, the oldest currently still issuing episodes podcast. Dave not only has played the Sarah Shook's music, but he's got stories about going to see her twice this year that he's told on his podcast. So it's a band that's, once again, I've been hearing guys our age who come from that late 80s, early 90s punk college rock background talk about. She's just a new girl on the block. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know it from the way she sings. And I mean, it's just like, she's just got that spookiness to her. Some people that are lazy are going to say she's just like a female Hank 3. But that's bullshit. You know, I, it's not giving any credit to her whatsoever. And I believe one of the members of her band was in, I want to say it was $2 Pistols, which was a 90s alt-country band that got some notice. You'll find this interesting. I'm reading this thing from Wikipedia. It says, Shook started a new band called Sarah Shook and the Disarmers in mid to late 2013. The band started as a recording project with John Howie Jr. from $2 Pistols. And you'll never guess who her... Uh, oh, I already her, know this. Cause, her because it was, it was mentioned on an episode of Mad at Dad because I uh, they do a live episode. They try to do it every week and usually I'm in the uh, the chat room. Dave Slusher from Mad at Dad made it very clear that it was not me who is the guitar player. <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric so Peterson yep. on guitar. Yeah. Yep. I think I'm going to ignore that. I reckon you... You get around, man. you got a gig on the uh, side. You know, You've not been telling us. You know, sometimes you got to keep some stuff, some secrets. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I highly recommend this album, man, to anybody who's like, you know, thinking that most of the country out there today is pretty tepid. This is uh, 100 proof, man. I'm going to go ahead and also recommend it. It's another one of the albums that I listened to or heard 
quite a bit this year that's on my list of things I need to get a physical copy of. Do you want to so talk about the next Yeah, the let's next segue right, right into my next album, which is from 2017. Features a uh, former member of Johnny Cash's touring band. Ooh. It plays homage, at least in one song, to one of the focal points of what I think is the best music documentary I saw this year. Rumble, the story of the Indians that rock the world. An amazing and, uh, film. Great film. Yes. So this is Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives with their album Way Out West. Well, it took a little green pill in Morency, Arizona On my way out to sunny California Been driving cross country for three long days I was all whooped up in an indigo haze Pill kicked in and I shut down Then the world went spinning Round and round and round and round and round Should have got a room in Texas Let Of all the albums I'm going to talk about, Morris, I think this is the one that you're probably going to enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. It definitely nods to Johnny Cash. He, he names Johnny in at least one or two songs. It's got a psychedelic kind of desert country vibe. And then the song, I believe it's called Quicksand, is his reworking of Rumble by Link Ray. Wow. So there's some great instrumentals. There's some great, you know, classic country kind of stuff. There's some real dreamy psychedelic stuff. It's just really good. And once again, there is an amount of maturity and reflection on where you've been and where you're coming from and the stamp that you've put on the world and the people you've met. One of the things I've posted into the group occasionally is the What's in My Bag segments from Amoeba Music out in uh, Los Angeles. And Marty Stewart did a fabulous one recently. Well worth checking out, seeing what he talks about and telling not just about his new album, but the story of where he's coming from and how he's gotten to where he is. I've always loved Marty Stewart. I've always loved him. And I mean, he came up around the same time as Yoakam did. And both of them were guys that I always had an ear open to. And Marty Stewart's a hell of a player, too. I mean, like, it's beyond a doubt, man. Yeah, highly recommended. What era of Johnny Cash's band was he in? Uh, he was he was a Johnny Cash's mandolin player, I think, throughout the 80s and into the 90s, if not sooner. I don't know what the originating era of his playing with, with Cash is, but I know that he was a professional mandolin player basically since he was a, a teenager. So I'm guessing probably it might have even gone back into the 70s. Mm, and then that. he started recording on his own in the 80s. So, Well, on that recommendation, I'm certainly going to be searching that album out. You've, you've really intrigued me. Certainly going to, after we finish, uh, look up that uh, Amoeba Records What's in My Bag thing. I just love those videos. They're fantastic. Yeah, they are. Okay, so my third album of the day, and I'm going to go local on you. So this is a lady called Sarah Carroll. She put out an album this year. Her band, Sarah Carroll and the Left Wing, she put out an album called Star Parade. Wish I was high on lower hate in the San Francisco sun Standing on the corner with my guitar and smiling at I briefly actually met Sarah Carroll in the early to mid-90s. I was um, doing a radio show on the uh, RMIT University student radio and was doing an interview with her husband, Chris Wilson, in their home. And Chris, who you may have heard on 
love that album a few months back. Very laid back in his delivery and Sarah was the antithesis of that. Very, very boisterous and full of energy. She told me at the time that she was starting this new all-gal country trio called Git with a couple of other great Melbourne singer-songwriters, Susanna Espy, who's put out some fantastic albums over the last few years, and Trish Anderson. And it was you know, basically original country tunes with three-part harmonies, and I was sold by her description without even having heard a note. And Chris would always refer to Sarah at his gigs by saying if he didn't perform a, a version of Mystery Train, she'd kick his ass. Despite being a member of Git and another local act called The Cartridge Family, Star Parade, I think, is the first album in Sarah's own name. I simply adore this record. Sure, you know, it contains a lot of the usual themes that singer-songwriters usually stress on, like, you know, love and loss and family. But a couple of things I wanted to sort of point out. One was that Sarah took two years to write and record this album. I strongly suspect that each song was written and rewritten over and over again to get it to perfection. She never loses sight that a song has to be an enjoyable experience rather than a worthy experience. I have a feeling that there are a lot of songwriters out there who maybe just stumble across throwing some chords together and work on the sound rather than the substance of the song. And I, I know that sounds a little bit horrible and cruel, especially from someone who <laughs> couldn't write a song to save his life. She's the woman who wrote that song about the motherhood, right? I remember that. So who, where do we... No, actually, no, no. Sorry, the, the one who wrote about motherhood, you're close, not quite right. Susanna Espy, who was with okay. Sarah in Git, she's the one who wrote that whole album about okay, motherhood. Okay, I'm but sorry. I, no, no, you're very much in the ballpark. And if I recall correctly, I think that Sarah was singing back up in the choir that sings on one of the songs on that album. I'll put up the uh, film clip on the day that I put this show up. But yeah, you're absolutely in the ballpark, definitely. Uh, the other thing, the, the songs are honest and I expect that a lot of this is autobiographical. She emotionally opens up, but not in a saccharine way. The opening cut on the album is a tune called St Kilda Skyline. And it just sounds like it's a song of appreciation for her father. But once again, it never gets saccharine. I love her turn of phrase. She describes him as having Tony Curtis hair. A nice little poetic twist, I think, in, in uh, that you know, a good songwriter does. There's another song in there called Lived Your Life Twice, which reads something like a shopping list of advice from mother to her son. And just as an aside, her son, George Wilson, happens to be playing guitar in the band, but he's a multi-instrumentalist. He plays guitar and bass and is a, a, an incredible drummer. Once again, it's not a saccharine song. Of oh I'm your mother I love you listen to me she says things like you know, never light three cigarettes off one match never blame the bowler when you drop a catch that's a cricket reference for you non-Australians never take a ride in a drunkard's car and never hit your wagon to a dying star I, I really love how she approaches the lyrics in this but musically it's also there's some sunshiny pop there. There's some blues yeah. stuff. They know how to rock out a lot, but they also know how to be tender. Just really, really wonderful record. She, as I said, she spent two years putting this together. I love the opportunity to go see her live. I was looking last night online for a gig to go to with Max this week, and one of the pubs that I sort of thought, oh, I wonder if they've got something on this week. I saw that Sarah had only performed at this pub. I think it was a Union Hotel about two weeks ago. Very, very frustrated. Hopefully she'll have something else on in Melbourne. 
very, very soon. And just as an aside, another band that is not part of my five, but I think that both of you would dig, and particularly you, Eric. Her son, George, who plays guitar in uh, her band, Sarah Carroll on the left wing, is also in a psychedelic garage rock trio called Tiny Giants. And they put out a fantastic album this year called Riverside. And I'll put up a couple of links to uh, cuts that might be on YouTube, but I really get the feeling that uh, it'd be something that you guys would dig. It's just got that sort of nuggetsy feel. It's some really aggressive guitar and uh, full of energy. Just really, really cool stuff. So that Wilson family, they're mighty talented folks. Anyway, <laughs> just as an aside. All right, cool. I'll check it out. So that's uh, my third choice. So uh, I think we go back to you, Tim. All right. I found sometimes it's really interesting that some of you know you listen to music that you immediately glean onto. And once, you know, you listen to it a number of times, you find yourself bored with it because you just get the gist of it and then that's it. But I've found in life that sometimes my some of the best music that you can hear is music that you have to work at, that you have to decipher. Things that you hear and you're just like, what the hell is going on here? I don't get it. There's something here, but I, I, I just have to spend time with it and figure it out, right? But once you do, then you realize, holy shit, man, like this is amazing, right? And what I'm talking about is uh, it's a new album that was released this year. It's an album by a band called Oxbow, and the album is uh, The Thin Black Duke. strange beast because their music is kind of hard to describe i mean they're freeform their music is kind of angular it's noisy at times it's soulful at times it's very atmospheric very scary at times and they're led by their singer uh, eugene uh, robinson and this guy's got a, a way of, of vocalizing that will make your skin crawl at moments and then make you cry the only way i can kind of describe Oxbow is kind of like when you try to put down the paper what's in your mind, everything comes out disjointed. Thoughts never run seamlessly, you know, in your head. Things always, you know, come out jangled in terms of vocalization, music. But they've done this over a number of albums and it's distinctly their sound. And when you first hear it, it's kind of disarming because it, you know, it's really, like I said, angular, almost woozy, like a, like you're on a drunk or something, and listening to their, you know, this guy kind of bemoan his situation in life, and one minute he's laughing, and the next minute he's screaming, and but it's beautiful, and the whole thing is amazingly orchestrated. This album is that they actually have strings on this album. They have like full orchestral uh, coverage on this album, which they had never really gone this far before. And in the past, Oxbow had done work with people like Marianne Faithful. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I mean, you know how moody she is? Yes, sure. I mean, it's that same kind of, you know, range, that same kind of mood where it's like, I wouldn't say that all of their music is brooding, but a lot of it is. But again, like 
this whole album just runs the gamut of tenderness to like absolute anger and rage and it's just, it's just a, an album that you're not going to really get the first time you drop the needle but once you listen to this thing over and over and over and then it clicks it's just like wow this hit me with like a full force impact this album because you're saying it's sort of angular and sort of these cutting edge sounds so how did the orchestration sort of fit in with the sounds that the band was putting out well that's the amazing thing is that what they do is almost like you know like mingus type stuff but then you know with the orchestration it was just it, it just it's seamless it really blends well they would have moments uh, a melody where the orchestra would come in and then they would go off into this angular stuff again and then they would have bridges of melody where the orchestra would come in and then they would go into this angular stuff again and again they're they're really hard to describe but i do have to say that oxbow is kind of like tequila it's not for everybody <laughs> you know some people are just going to say turn this off i can't i can't do this right now it's just this is just you know putting me off or else but for the more adventurous and those that are willing to bend their ear and really try to figure out what they're doing like i say once you do you'll appreciate it I'll run it by Max. It sounds like it might be uh, up his alley. Eric, your fourth album. All right. Uh, coming as a complete surprise to absolutely no one, <laughs> um, one of my favorite all-time bands put out a new album this year, and it is my number two. And yes, I am thanked in the liner notes because they are friends of mine. But uh, The Forbidden Dimensions, it's a morbid, morbid, morbid world. a continuation of the most current era of the band so they started it was a one-man band in the late 80s in the 90s they became a full band and then fell apart in about 97 and then came back together in the 2000s recently they've added a new bass player and she also provides some vocal uh, backups so you get uh, the female voice coming into these songs. They are once again still the same little audio comic books of monsters and noir stories and creepy, culty, sci-fi garbage kind of stuff. But it's fun. It's got word I like to use, energy. You know, uh, when you find a band that, that connects with you and they keep not doing the same thing but staying in the same spirit, it's it's hard, at least for me, to uh, to disregard that. For me, it doesn't become stale. It doesn't become old hat, especially when they mix it up and they bring in some new ideas and sounds. So there's some great instrumental tracks. There's some punk tracks. There's some kind of hard rock metal. There's some 70s kind of stuff. Definitely some garage rock and psych. And yeah, great stuff. So that diversity is... Uh what keeps you attractive yeah and the thing is that you can get that diversity of sounds but still be cohesive because it's still got the same mood that same kind of cult schlock kind of feel and gloss to it so that's what keeps you know going from like a Dwayne Eddy style instrumental to like an ACDC Kiss style rock song to a rockabilly ballad kind of keeps it from seeming too disjointed right yeah they, last year they put out a two cd set of all of their singles that you can find and listen wow. to on spotify so uh yeah great people great band well like tim said about his pick i know they're not for everybody but if they are something that appeals to you great 
do they have anything right. on physical media or is it all just download? Oh yeah, there's all kinds of stuff on physical media. Okay. Yeah, there's tons of Forbidden Dimension stuff out there for sure. All right. Well, I'm uh, unfortunately going to get all pitchfork hipster on you guys. This is not an artist. Which... I know where you're going. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you, you probably do. This is yeah. not a, an artist who I would have thought I would have gone for a few years ago, but I do love this record. And if you would have told me that one of my albums of the year would have been from the ex-bass player of Suicidal Tendencies, I'd be saying, yeah. I suspect that you're telling a bit of a porky pie there. Furthermore, if you would have said to me that the album contains a song that has vocals from Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins, I'd say, you're yeah. really snorting something there. But the album put out by Stephen Bruner, a.k.a. Thundercat, called Drunk, really yanked my chain. Nobody moved, there's blood on the floor And I can't find my heart Where did it go? Did I leave it in the cold? So please give it back Cause it's like yours to take It must have fell when I lost only heard of him like by name this year but i know he'd previously worked with the hugely popular it seems kendrick lamar who his album to pimp a butterfly was not my thing but you know more power out there to um, to you folks if you did dig it he'd worked with erica badu and he also has a close connection to an artist that was one of my albums of last year, Kamazi Washington, his album The Epic, and Kamazi Washington actually, I think, does make an appearance on Drunk. Uh, and the, actually, the two of them are touring separately next year, I think, for Byron Bay Blues Festival. So I think it's all the more likely that they'll end up performing at each other's shows. I'm sure he's you know, talked about it in all the big media places before this year, but. You know, I wasn't paying attention, shame on me. The album needs to be taken as a whole, I think, with its lyric and musical content. It sounds in a way like it's a concept album, which is like a stream of consciousness rather than a definite story as such, but it's you know, all the lyrics Whoa. told like over one drunken night. It's a drunk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and all the shit that's coming out of his head. He drunk and right, stoned. Right, right. You get the opening thing called Rabbit Ho, and then it goes into uh, Captain Stupido, where the oft-quoted lyric is, I can't sleep, brush your teeth, or come, come here, brush your teeth, still can't sleep, beat your meat, go to sleep. And I thought, yeah, yeah. holy shit, guy who's got a Frank Zappa sense of humor. Well, that's just it. Is I mean, he, he's not just Zappa in the sense of his humor. The way he constructs his songs is very Zappa-esque. He's got great compositional uh, Zappa-esque chops. He's oh, yeah. A, an amazing bass player. And this is a, a modern take on 1970s jazz fusion in a way. And what, what's even funnier is that, you know, you see interviews with Thundercat and he even says he's a huge Zappophile. He loves Zappa. So this is his tribute. Me being the dumbass with this album, you know, even before hearing that track with Loggins and Michael McDonald, I heard the rest of the album and I thought, holy shit, man, this would really sit alongside Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald, lo and behold. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's like, God damn it, this isn't some great yacht rock here, you know? Like, um, but the whole album is not like that. You know, there, there are no, it's not. Rock. It's not at all. It's a, it's a very, you know, schizophrenic album. But again, it's stream of consciousness, and it goes back to like I was saying about the Oxbow record. It's kind of the same thing. It's, it's just kind of like where, where are we going next with this thing? You know, it's a progression that's not a progression that I really like about this album because everyone says there's been complaints about Drunk saying, oh, this album is too loose and it really doesn't have a lot of structure. Well, that's the point. There's no structure to this album. It's, it, there is, but it's not. It's just it's just kind of him having fun and saying, hey, follow me a while. And yet it doesn't sound like it's just randomly thrown together. Either. No, it's not. It's not. Because it is a stream of consciousness and when we're in that phase of mind, sometimes we can come up with brilliantly socially observant stuff and sometimes we just say stupid shit so there's, right. a, there's a song bus in the streets where he quite cleverly you know making this statement about the state of the nation he says thank god for technology because where would we be if we couldn't tweet our thoughts but then again you've got another song called a fan's mail where he sings it's cool to be a cat meow 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 so yeah you've got that combination of he's saying something that's really a bit of a finger wagging at how we behave and yet sometimes you just get meow 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 right the the other sort of thing just listening to his bass playing i had once again the privilege while we're in montreal this year to see stanley clark play live and i think thundercat's bass playing sounds like he's been listening all his life to jaco pastorius and stanley clark Uh, right 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 He's in that league of playing. And that right, of, right, right. Look, this album certainly deserves more than the five-minute description that I can give it. And I might sort of give it some more in-depth thought and make it as a whole episode next year. But just in case you're one of the five people out there who haven't caught up with this album, give it some consideration. It's a lot of fun. It has some stuff to say, and it has some cats meowing as well. In case Dr. Zom, in case you're listening to it, in one of the tracks, he farts. There you go. Fun album all over. All right, we'll go to one more break before we come back and do our final album that we talk about in a little bit of detail as well as some other albums that we just really dug through the end we'll just maybe have you know a minute or two about each you'll listen to love that album episode 107 with tim and eric not that tim and eric a different tim and eric and uh, we'll be back shortly My name is Ethan Uslin, and I'd like to tell you about my brand new podcast called The Carolina Shout. It's about old-timey American piano music like ragtime and early jazz and swing. And what makes the podcast unique is that I'm the piano player, and in between the songs I add little commentary and stories, kind of like a short, informal, private concert just for you. And I'll even have special guests, like uh, in one of the episodes, I'll have the world's foremost authority on pickles. So if you're interested in a podcast about rip-roaring American piano music that's funny, quirky, a little educational, but not too much, please subscribe to the Carolina Shout.
Thanks for your patience. Hope you've got yourself a beer, a coffee, a sandwich, whatever it is that gives you sustenance to listen to this show. I'm Morris. There's Tim. There's Eric. And we've been talking about our favorite first-time listens of 2017. So, uh, Tim, your final album for the show. Okay. This isn't a number one in terms of order, but this is uh, an album that I absolutely love nonetheless. Now, imagine uh, you've got the Beach Boys sitting around a campfire. And on the other side of the campfire, you've got the German kraut rock band Can, mm. and somebody's passing around a punch. And in the punch bowl, they managed to uh, sprinkle some magic mushrooms. And then everybody <laughs> decided to jam together. And I think the outcome would be a band called the OCs. The OCs put out a new album called Orc this year. Absolutely love. And I had the uh, privilege of seeing them play here in Seoul a number of years back, about three or four years ago. And damn, if these guys just didn't burn the house down. I mean, absolutely incredible. I haven't had so much fun in a long time. They're an amalgamation, the OCs, of all my favorite elements of like, you know, like I say, like the kraut rock, they've got garage, they do this experimental wig out, lo-fi stuff. And their main uh, linchpin, John Dwyer, who runs Castle Face Records, who, like I said earlier, put out, you know, the first album I talked about. He's just a machine. This guy just, he's putting out albums every other month under different names and I think the OCs now has something almost like 19 full albums out wow a lot of people compare them neck and neck with uh, your guys King Gizzard but I think the OCs are to me you know I'll put my money on the OCs over King Gizzard I hate to compare but it's just that's that's where I stand but I think both bands it's almost like people are saying you know it's kind of like a competition to see who can put out the most output but it's not a matter of how much you put out it's the quality in there you know it's the meat in the sandwich it's not the fact that you're handing everybody sandwiches but I think this new album Orc man it's just amazing they just keep getting better and better for me. And, and again, like Eric was saying, you know, it's like when a band doesn't repeat the same album, but they just keep refining what they do and they just keep polishing it down, polishing it down, polishing it down until it's just that that gem. This is an album, one of the reasons stereos were made as far as I'm concerned, man. This is something you want on vinyl and something you want your neighbors to hear loud and clear at <laughs> 6 a.m. But I'm telling you, like, you put this on in your car and I guarantee, man, you'll get a speeding ticket. Because it's it's just it's just zero zero to ninety just go go go. But what's really weird is that it's like you could play this album at thirty three and it would sound just as good. But it's just the way that it's so sped up. It's almost like you swear that everybody's on you know speed. But it's not a punk record. It's got punk sensibility to it. But it's just like high speed pop mixed with German kraut rock mixed with like I say like lo-fi electronics and it's just man it just puts the ants in my pants. This album just gets got me going i loved it now you'd spoken about the ocs on a previous end of year show had you uh, eric uh yeah actually I, I have at least one of their albums and i know that i think tim was the one that told me about them so i checked them out I, I haven't really gotten into that record and part of it has to do with 
I only have it on LP, and there's only so much time you're at home playing LPs, blah, blah, blah. So they're, they're definitely one of those bands that I'm always intending to listen to more. But you, oh, you know how that how that list goes, right? They're just hella fun because, I mean, like they'll have two really, like, you know, blast songs that are just like total jump up and down pop. You know, just like, you know, you know, those uh, pixie sticks that you used to get, those sugar mm-hmm. sticks, you know, it's, it's like getting yourself jacked up on sugar sticks and then drinking about six cans of Coke and then putting on the album and just, you know, putting you putting holes in the ceiling because you're jumping up and down so high, you know. <laughs> But they'll do two really like full on songs like that. And then they'll just do a really slow kind of wonky, you know, kind of warped like psych song, like almost like Brian Jonestown or something like that. And then then they'll go right back into that bang, bang, bang pop again. And it's just I love it. It's just great. So for me as a newcomer, what would be an album that you'd recommend I should start off with? Or is Orc as good a place as any to start? It's good a place as any. I mean, this and the last album that they put out, I forget the name of the last one now because like I say, like they've been so like just again and again consistent. But Orc is an album that I would say definitely listen to it. Let me know what you think. Hmm. It's really hard for me to describe things in words sometimes, but it's almost some of their stuff is almost like Beach Boys Pet Sounds on 45. Their previous album from 2016 is called An Odd. And odd entrances. Right, and odd entrances, yeah, that was the last one. They're just completely fun, though, man. I mean, and to see these guys live, if, if you don't move, man, like, you're dead. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, you know, I, I'll send you footage, uh, Morris, from a live show that they did and it, with two drummers, oh, and they what? play simultaneously, and it's just it's just unbelievable. Well, another thing that they have in common with King Gizzard. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if King Gizzard copped it off of them or vice versa or what, but, I mean, but uh, the OCs have been playing with two drummers for quite a while, yeah. but um, phenomenal, phenomenal. I'm always, I'm always a big fan of watching two drummers play together. It's, it's pretty pretty dangerous really you know there's but these guys are step locked though when you see them drumming it's like holy shit man like it's just like a four-armed octopus like i mean it's just amazing all right eric your final selection so if you've been following me at all on social media this year um you've heard me talk about this album and i know tim talked about his uh young woman doing or their modern take on country and this one's mine and it is Nikki Lane with her album Highway Queen. Well, I heard tell of a woman out there with tight blue jeans and long black hair. She'll come play, but she won't stay, and it always brings them down. Some folks say there'll come a day when she'll settle in some old town. But it's best you know this a long, long road, and she ain't gonna come around. 60,000 miles back time. Which is a rockin', roots rock, country, just just so good. I just can't stop listening to it. It's in the car pretty constantly. She's got a great but but not amazing voice. This album just nails it for me. Great, catchy songs. The videos are a lot of fun that I've seen for the songs on this album. I've been trying to get John Ross to listen to it all year, and it looks like he finally did. I was, so. gonna, I was just going to say, he put up a post a couple of days ago. So he's uh, he's on the Nikki Lane Highway. Yeah, I just, just really enjoyed this record quite a lot. She actually played here in November, and I didn't make it to the show, so that was kind of disappointing, but just really blew me away. And to be honest, I, I thought that my album of the year would be, you know, Coxbearer, Forbidden Dimension, or any of the records I've already mentioned. And this one just kind of came out of nowhere, and I stumbled across it somewhere, and I just thought, wow, that that's pretty amazing. So yeah, that's that's my number one record of the year. So what's her backstory? How long has she been doing what she's been? Doing? Uh, she's got this is her third album. Apparently, she ran a vintage shop in New York City for a number of years, 
and moved to Nashville, opened up her own vintage shop and started playing or continued to play music, I guess you could say. And I've read some interviews with her where she talks about how she wants to get a, uh, a vehicle for touring that the band will go on the van and she'll go in this other vehicle so she can go thrifting and vintage shopping along the way. So because I'm into the whole vintage thrift shopping, cultural archaeology thing, that, that kind of appeals to me, too. But especially the title track on this, Highway Queen, is just it's just amazing. She does a song called Jackpot where she talks about a couple of different big gambling towns in America that you just want to go, oh, why didn't somebody think of that sooner? Uh, yeah, I really, really like this album a lot. And is she still based out of Nashville when she's not touring? Yes, she is. In fact, if you follow her on Facebook, most of what she posts about is her tour dates. And it seems like, you know, she goes and she tours. She goes west for a week or two and then comes back to Nashville. Goes north for a couple of gigs, goes back to Nashville. That kind of a thing, which makes sense. And there's just something about her attitude and her being accessible but not seeming to play the Nashville game that that I really uh, respond to. I'm assuming she's probably in her late 20s, early 30s, but it feels like uh, somebody who's younger trying to forge their own path and not throw away what was before, but to not be hidebound by what has come before. It's a difficult thing, I imagine, working in somewhere like Nashville where you're not sort of on oh, yeah. to, uh, to the history of the town. Mm-hmm. Or the, the machine of the town. I mean, right, the whole... Right. The whole use of producers and, you know, having to buy songs from songwriters and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, well, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, they buy into that whole field of dreams, build it and they will come. But then they, you, know, you find out it's a meat grinder. You know, it's like, oh, I, I can go to Nashville and just suddenly, you know, gain a claim. It's like, no, it don't work like that. Even if you flame out and don't garner, you know, a level of success that if you do it your way, either A, people will find it, you know, down the road or B, at least, you know, you didn't give your shot to some garbage that you didn't oh, really sure. believe in. Sure. It's better to try than never try it at all. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's better to, to stay true to your music, do what you need to do to, to be able to look back in 15 years and say, yeah, sure. you know, I might not have sold a million records, but it was the record I wanted to make at the time. Right. right. And so, so yeah, Nikki be- Lane Highway Queen. And this will be that album for her, you think? It seems like she's building a following and it seems like she's on the road to a little more mainstream acceptance or success, whatever that means in our current era. Right. I'll harp on about my final album for the morning. Now, this is an album that originally came out in 1969, but it had a reissue in 2017. Ian McFarlane alerted me to the reissue when we spoke earlier on this year about Died Pretty on Love That Album. And Ian McFarlane, as well as having written his wonderful Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop, also has been providing liner notes for the marvellous Aztec Records label, which is dedicated to the reissue of Australian records that have long been forgotten about. Loving it. So, And obviously, yeah, Tim, you'd be aware of the origin of the name Aztec Records as being yeah. uh, named after Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs because yeah. um, Gil Matthews, who runs the label, is the ex-Billy uh, Thorpe drummer, uh, Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs drummer. So those albums were, of course, the original or the first albums i think released on aztec records certainly the early ones so the album that ian alerted me to for a new release this year that got me very excited is by the band called tama mashad and the album's called evolution
I had heard some of their material before as it had appeared in Australia's most famous surfing film, Morning of the Earth, and surfing films here were a real industry unto themselves in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. I can't recall for sure, but I may have spoken about Tamim Shud a little bit in regards to a compilation that came out late last year called A Life in the Sun. It's a great two-CD anthology of uh, bands who contributed music to surf films and Tamim Shud was on that double CD in two guises. They started out in 1964 in the town of Newcastle, which is about 100 kilometres outside of Sydney. And they started out as a surf band. They called themselves originally for one single before Strangers, before deciding to call themselves the Sunsets. And, you know, as a surf band, they used a lot of the usual sort of tropes that you get on surf music, you know, fuzzed out guitars, fafisa organs and frantic drumming, but, and just that great energetic feel that, you know, music of the ocean evokes. I'd read in Ian's extensive notes by 1967 that the band had been playing six nights a week in a little club in Surfers Paradise, but they were also listening to the music of Love and Jimi Hendrix in the 13th floor elevators. They were dropping LSD, and then realizing that surfing music was no longer going to cut it. So by 1968, they started performing at what was called Happenings back in the day. That's hippie talk for parties. And they call themselves Tam and Mashad. In 1969, there was a surf film director called Paul Witzig who invited the band to record the soundtrack for his film Evolution and then said, right, well, I've paid for a few extra hours of studio time. I'll use it to whatever music you want. And so within two and a half hours, the band recorded the album that's been re-released this year called Evolution. The whole album, just two and a half hours, is absolutely amazing, but it goes to show just how incredibly tight they were. The one piece of advice I can say when you get this album, if you get this album, is play it fucking loud. The music does evoke you know, that whole 70s experience of you know, blues and prog rock and psychedelic sounds but that was part of that whole scene there were you know, besides bands like uh, Tamim Shud there was Chain and Spectrum who I might have met oh yeah I love Chain Chain are more sort of straight out blues boogie than Shud I, I guess probably Tamim Shud would be more closely aligned to Spectrum but they do come from the same school of thought and they right. all led to um, the evolution of Australian music through to the pub rock era of the 70s oh. and these songs are really played by bands so clearly in each other's pockets. You know, if you're playing for months and months, six nights a week, that's going to happen. The rhythm section, there's a guy called Danny Davidson on drums and Peter Barron on bass, who, I love this expression, tight but loose. They have this loose groove that all the best rhythm sections achieve, and probably it wouldn't be too far away to say that if you know the sound that Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding provide. Oh, yeah. Well, that's well, just... That's these guys. That's just, yeah, when you get when you get guys that are so tight, they're the ones that can actually cast it out and know how to reel it back in at their own pace that comes with musicianship like you're saying you know it's like you you can't be loose if you don't know what you're doing in the first place you know it's just it doesn't work like that but no this is something that sounds like it's really up my alley i want to i'm going to dig this up 100 percent. and look the, the thing i sort of haven't really made apparent though here is even though you might sort of think you have the sound in your head i think okay it's like Jimi hendrix experience and yet they don't overindulge in the wigged outedness if that's a good expression there's right uh, there's not a million guitar effects and it's possibly because of the limitations of just doing a two and a half hour recording session i mean really 
a whole album, like a, a 40 minute album recorded in two and a half hours. It was recorded live. We hear a lot of rhythm guitar, a lot more rhythm guitar than lead guitar. It's still very much a rock album with light and shade. There's a single from the album called Lady Sunshine, which starts out gentle enough before sort of going a little bit more frantic from the solo through to the end of the song. Mm. But it's frantic yet with some level of reserve and that may have as much to do with the limitations of the session than it does with any conscious decision by the band it is a great rock album i was so thrilled that it came out this year it's definitely up your alley tim what makes the aztec records release so special and this had been re-released like a, a bunch of times over the years but aztec records i've always gone and said is like you know australia's version of rhino records or at least what rhino right. records were the bonus their liner notes for aztec and everything that they add to all their releases are just lovingly and man like they're amazing i remember you and i last january when we were down in basement records and i was pouring over all the aztec stuff they had up there on the rack and it was just unbelievable you know i thought man they had the, all the buffalo re-releases and they had all that stuff and i was just like oh, gonna get my hands on this there's a lot of stuff you told me a few years ago that you're a big buffalo fan yeah so that, that's part of that catalog should also make note that ian mcfarlane is the writer i don't know if about all the aztec records released but certainly many of them he and gil matthews are very tight work working in together to make these albums the best sounding and the best historical documents of mainly the 70s. There's been a few 80s releases in there as well, but a lot of bands which I'd heard of but didn't know anything about, some bands I'd never even heard of. And then there's a handful of albums which, there was an album that came out a couple of years ago on Aztec by the band Mondo Rock called Chemistry, and Chemistry was huge and it's still probably in a lot of people's memory. So I thought it was an unusual release to put on the label. I mean, it's a great record, but seemingly given that their modus operandi is to sort of talk about albums that people had forgotten, I didn't think that chemistry had was far from people's minds but still given that it is a great record and there was tons of bonus material on that as well i'm glad that it did see the light of day in that guy so if you can look up the aztec records website and see what else is out there maybe something will uh, do it for you as i said yeah there's spectrum there's mckenzie theory tamam shud of course billy thorpe and the aztecs well just a ton of stuff and they're always putting albums out you know maybe i'm not sure maybe a dozen a year or something like that so i'll keep you guys posted as to what comes on over the next year i know that we'll be having ian mcfarlane come back onto love that album sometime in 2018 and we've already you know decided that we're going to go through his list of Aztec Records favourites. Actually, the Colour Balls. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, sorry. How could I forget? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I recently got Ball Power by yeah. uh, Lobby Lord and the Coloured Ball. So that's, I'm pretty sure that that's one of Ian's choices. We spoke about Died Pretty during the year. That was an Aztec Records release. There's a Master's Apprentices album that I know he wants to talk about from the label and a couple of other things. So uh, really exciting label and just keeping this vital music alive. Full kudos to those guys. Really, really happy that they exist all right so that's our five selections each that we wanted to talk about in detail so just going around the table do you guys want to sort of like list off briefly a few albums that you also really really love that you know we won't sort of go on for ages about but just want to list off a few things that you think people should know about all right one album that i really really fell in love with another one the same band their release this year is uh tenariwin l1 the new one that they put out i love the tureg blues absolutely just fell in love with these guys the first time i heard them and i mean for me, it was because of uh, artists like Ali Farkature mm. 
and his son and that type of hypnotic you know it all goes back to Mali and the, and the area and, and and the Tuaregs they have their own take on it but it's just that whole droney hypnotic African blues that just gets me hook line and sinker this album got uh, you know some names on it it's got Kurt Lanigan Kurt File a couple other people but whenever I travel and I go anywhere in the world, if I'm on a plane, I've always listened to some Tenari Wind. It just makes me, it's its travel music for me. It just gets me into a mood when I'm in transit. The other two I wanted to mention briefly was uh, a band called Elder, Reflections of a Floating World. To me, like this album blew my mind. It's like what modern progressive rock should be. And Elder are a band, like everyone goes on about Tool, Tool, Tool. It's like, fuck Tool. Like these guys, <laughs> yeah, what a joke. I mean, but but Elder, I mean, like they're a band that are almost on par, like a, a metal version of what Crimson is with the oh, Red wow. album. Elder, this album, the new album that they've put out is almost like, and I don't mean to sound like it's you know arty farty and up its own ass, but the new album, Reflections of a Floating World, it's almost like Yes's Topographical Oceans album. It's just like that vast. Like the songs are just incredible, and I mean the the range in every song is just it's just phenomenal. But I think if you like Porcupine Tree, yes. Morris, you you'll dig into this. You'll dig into Elder, cool. and you know some of the al- songs are like eleven minutes, and they just take you on a complete journey, man. I mean, eleven minutes. I mean, it, this is total headphone music, and it's just amazing, man. The new album is really really good. The progression that these guys have come on three of the last three albums is just revelatory. It's it's unbelievable. The last one I want to go on a little bit about is a guy from California that I've always loved, Bob Forrest from Thelonious Monster. He now is a, a drug addictions counselor, but he had quite a career in music and uh, some might say a self-destructive career, but he's a survivor and he just put out an album called Survival Songs. And it's basically him with an acoustic guitar with uh, accompanied by, uh, I think, Xander Schloss from the Circle Jerks. And the two of them just sitting down with guitars and him going over a lot of the back catalog of Thelonious Monster, a lot of his own back catalog. And he does one of my favorite renditions of uh, See That My Grave Is Kept Clean. Oh, nice. That I absolutely love. And I mean, Bob's voice, he doesn't have the best voice in the world, but his voice is his voice and it's authentic. And you, and you know that this guy's been through a world of hurt, self-induced, and he's come out the other side and the wisdom and like the ache in his voice. He's got this song, Serial song that really kills me where he's talking about we thought Lenny Bruce and Keith Richards were cool doing drugs and now what am I doing 36 years old working in a restaurant I got teeth that I can't chew my favorite cereal with the guy's amazing I'm just saying like anybody who doesn't know about Bob Forrest get on YouTube there you can find the survival songs the album and it's just phenomenal I just love the guy cool All right. So I've already posted a bunch of this to the Love That Album Facebook group to kind of tease people a little bit. But two things I haven't posted. There was a new TSOL album this year that I didn't get around to listening to. But I always dig the TSOL stuff, especially even the the more recent stuff I think is good. There's another guy that's a survivor, man, Grisham. Yep, exactly. Well, these guys, once again, aging punk rockers who know who they are. You got me excited there for a minute, Eric. You said TSOL. I thought you meant T-S-O-O-L. No, no, no. Not Soundtrack of Our That got me excited for a second. Some of those guys do have solo projects I have yet to check out. Okay. Anyways, so my favorite film of the year, and just like with music, I usually have a number one, and then everything else is in the top 10 is just in the top 10 so for this episode nikki lane was my number one album all the rest i talked about are just in my top five no particular order but my number one film this year was the film free fire which i know came out last year in the uk but uh whether you like the film or not it starts off with the real kids do the boob it's got cc 
VCRs run through the jungle, and it's this yeah. great jazz, progressive, fusion, 70s soundtrack that, uh, putting the film aside, I think it's a great, amazing soundtrack. Uh, All right, from there, so we get uh, the Texas band Ghoul Town, which is a kind of a country horror punk band with a mariachi kind of vibe. <laughs> they, they, had a, they had a new album out that I really liked this year. I, they have, in my opinion, never put out a bad album. But, you know, once again, they know who they are. They know what they're doing. But they're not, you know, just doing the copycat of the previous album. Found a band called Too Much Joy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember those they, guys. They were kind of a college indie yeah. power pop band. Yeah. Think like late round 90s tripping, Around Tripping Daisy. Around the time yep. of Tripping Daisy. Yeah, yeah. So I found their album Serial Killer in a yeah. thrift shop for two bucks, and I had to buy it. And it's pretty good stuff. And they had an interesting backstory. So check that out. So then from the Nurse with Wounds list, which I think Tim's probably familiar with. Yeah. Nurse with Wounds was a what post-punk band in the UK in the late 70s. Yep. And they had this list of all of these bands, all of these weird jazz artists and poets and incredible. That that yeah. list is like one of the bibles for anybody who's serious music file. That list was kind of like before the internet, they put that list out and people shared it around. It was almost like a catalog of what you need to find. Wow. Yeah. And, and so I found this this band called Nosferatu, who are a German progressive krautrock band. They had put out one album in 1970. It's one of those albums that I keep putting in the car and listening to, even though it really hasn't totally hooked me. But I keep playing it for some reason. You posted that on the Love That Album page yesterday. Yes, I did. And I started listening to it and I thought, I want to search out a copy of this. I was really enjoying it. (laughs) I got it off of uh, Amazon and CD for, you know, a reasonable price. So it has been reissued. You don't have to go looking for an original copy. So there was a band called Fox with two X's. And their album is called The Revolt of Emily Young, which is a early 70s psych pop funk record that, uh, once again, I don't love it, but I keep pulling it out to play it for some reason. It's a concept record, which is something that always attracts me. So that was something that uh, I had heard about on, there's a, a YouTube channel that's, I forget the name of it, but they, they're like psych digger guys. They go through and right. they dig all psych records out. They talked that's about it. That's one thing I love about the 70s, you know, is that today everything has to be defined definitively this or definitively that but back in the 70s it's like well you guys are a, a, a jazz funk noise uh you know psych uh, this better yeah yep yeah exactly <laughs> whatever you guys want yeah. to do and that's what made it so fresh i mean today is that there was no pretense at all it was just like you know th- this is what we love doing and this is what we're going to do you know you can't categorize it it's just hey and if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't we just move right. along right 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 so there was a project called me and that man which is uh, I forget the name of the the artist, but he is uh, part of a like one of those German metal bands or European metal bands, and this is him doing roots rock, kind of like dark country stuff. Okay, I dug that, and then Chuck Prophet and his Bobby Fuller died for your sins is one of those records I just have yet to pick up a physical copy of, right. but I thought that's it was a, really that's good. A great, that is a great album. What you were going to Go say about the metal guys doing dark country yeah. and stuff? The singer, I think it was from Behemoth. Yes, has there put, you go. Has, has put out a new album. Yep, and, and I believe he also did uh, What's in My Bag from Amoeba, and that's where I heard about this. Okay, okay, because that album's really good, too, the one that he did, the Dark Country album. Yeah, and then uh, finally, there's a guy from the vinyl community on YouTube named Billy Hurst, who uh, he's a photographer. He lives in the St. Louis area. He's really big into Kiss and ACDC, but also country, and he was in Nashville for a number of years doing country music, and he got to open for a lot of big acts, but his career never really sounds like it, it did 
didn't really take off. But he reissued his 1996 album, which is called Small Town Fool. And it's pretty good. It's definitely that late 90s production and can be kind of slick in points, but he's got a great voice. You know, this far removed from that being the staple sound, it, you kind of hear beyond the uh, the hype and the whatever of the era that makes everything sound not the same, but kind of gets everything confused because all you're hearing is that kind of production or that kind of, you know, sound on the radio or whatever. So I, I dug his album. He's a cool guy. And uh, I was happy to, uh, to pick up his reissue of that. So those are my and most of those are posted in our Facebook group if people want to go and check out what they are because I went through those pretty fast. So All right, I'll go through my list and you know, a bunch of these will be albums that people will be familiar with. Um, a couple of these, I guess, were ones that I sort of came to late so didn't get a chance to listen to for a lengthy amount of time. So still albums that I think are important. So the posthumously released album for Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, Soul of a Woman. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard before, this doesn't sound like a final album of a woman who knew that her time had come because she thought that her treatment, her cancer treatment, had removed all problems. Watch the film Miss Sharon Jones to see what happened to it. Yeah. Unfortunate about how that went downhill post the film being made. But this album, Soul of a Woman, is just amazing. But every album that she put out was great. So if you like what you've heard before, this is certainly worth searching up. One thing I want to say, 2017. Goddamn 2017 for taking Sharon Jones and for taking Charles Bradley. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about Charles Bradley, I think, you and I the other day. And was it you and I, we had this conversation about you know, Charles Bradley had something in common with with Ted Hawkins, you know, a guy who right. really found his way late in life. So at least they got to know that they were loved by lots of people. You know, they were taken all too soon, but it, you know, at least it's not as bad as sort of living that whole life with that immense talent and no one ever discovered it. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, Charles Bradley had the, the best 10-year run for a lot of – some people have never even had in their whole career. Mm. I mean, like, you know, the guy was able to, to tour the world – and just put himself out there and, and like you said you know the outpouring of love and it wasn't just from the fans it was from him to the world too i mean like you know, like the, you never seen a guy more sincere on stage you know when he told everybody he loved each and every one of them man it was just a hundred percent next up was an anthology that i caught hold of maybe about a month and a half ago there's a guy i'd never heard of before called leroy huston uh, or was it pronounced houston i'm not sure and he was donny hathaway's roommate in college so there's definitely a Donny Hathaway feel about some of these songs, but I also detect a little bit of Barry White, a little bit of Al Green, uh, some, nice. Isaac, some Isaac Hayes. It's fantastic stuff. I mean, the music is, I don't want to use the word smooth soul because it's not that, but it's not tough and gritty, but it's just really, really great songwriting, really great funk. It's the sort of thing that Will Smith will absolutely really, really love. I think his proper albums have been out of print for a long time, so this anthology is definitely well worth your while picking up. Locally, a group that I know that you absolutely adore too tim texton and charlie came up with an album yep. that none of us expected called you don't know lonely and i got to see them do an album launch at the mimo rooms in st kilda back in august i think it was i believe that they're doing a couple more gigs early in the new year 
so uh, I might try to catch them one more time because it might be another 10 years before they perform again. A guy who I knew of back in the late 80s, early 90s, he had a multiple of bands. A guy's called John Kennedy, and I have only one other album of his. I forgot what it's called, but it's basically him doing a bunch of demos for songs that he eventually recorded with a full band, and it's him sort of sounding like Billy Bragg. You know, he's got that rough-style rhythm guitar, and he's a songwriter in that sort of Billy Bragg vein. He put out an album this year called JFK and the Midlife Crisis, which is, I guess, in reference to a, a, one of his old bands called JFK and the Cuban Crisis. He's, I guess, in a way, like Sydney's equivalent of Paul Kelly. Uh, huh. It's a little bit country, but you know, with a bit of a rock feel. I went to see the album launch, in once again, in a little pub in St Kilda, and that was just so much fun. The interesting thing for the audience was that the lead guitar player in his band was a guy called Murray Cook, which millions of children around the world know as one of the Wiggles. But he left <laughs> the Wiggles, or they broke up it. Here he was in a grown-ups band and uh, yeah full credit to him they made wiggles jokes all throughout the night and he never once said look fuck off i'm trying to do something uh something more adult he, he rolled with it he had a lot of fun seemed like a really nice guy but all fantastic musicians so yeah this album uh, jfk and the midlife crisis is definitely well worth a search out on pop boomerang records which is run by uh, one of the members of the community mr scott thurling hello scott hope you're uh, out there listening to this a few other albums here uh, as you guys know i love collecting anthologies of Australian music, old Australian music history, particularly if it's been really well put together with great liner notes and some unusual material and uh, the albums like Boogie and uh, Silver Roads that have been put oh, yeah. there's, there's a bunch of others and Do The Pop, which I know you're a big fan mm-hmm. of, Eric. There's yeah. a, another couple of uh, albums from, uh, I think, uh, the Australian Underground, uh, which are very similar to the Do The Pop phase you know, with bands like Radio Birdman and The Saints and, you know, and the like. But yeah. th- this one was, strangely enough, put out by an American label but this is an album called Follow The Sun and it's sort of delving into a bit of a, a early 70s folk rock scene that hmm. I didn't even know Australia had and I was sort of surprised to see that it wasn't like a local label I think it was put out by a label which I'm struggling to remember the name of that comes out in New York but Follow the Sun a lot of fun stuff on that you know it's not maybe necessarily as crucial as some of the albums that I've mentioned before but really wanted to search out other avenues and it does have a lot of great material on it an album that someone posted on the Feed My Ears group which I found out you can't buy unless you're paying three four hundred dollars for a rare copy this is from a band called Map Carmel and the name of the album is called yeah. Real Women came out I think in 2012 holy shit this is a great rocking album sort of a little bit helicopters a little bit black yeah. rose and an amazing record I really really love this but I only caught this maybe about two three weeks ago for the first time if I'd heard it earlier on in the year and if I'd been able to snag a physical copy I might have even put it in my top five a great record got a little bit of a humble pie vibe to it to right. me yep 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 I see that for sure it's all, all that sort of boogie early 70s yeah. boogie sort of uh, yeah. a great yeah. great record Stephen Wilson's album To The Bone which sort of surprised me I mean it shouldn't because as you know I adore Stephen Wilson but he'd released a few songs on YouTube as inverted commas singles or whatever the kids call them nowadays which taken in isolation didn't really grab me but I bought the album anyway because it was Stephen Wilson and played from start to finish I thought now I get it he's not doing the son of the raven that refused to sing he's gone in a different direction he's sort of going a bit more pop and yet it is still very Stephen Wilson it is still very right. much the guy who was in Porcupine Tree I think Stephen Wilson to me maybe like correct me if I'm wrong or just but I think Stephen Wilson to me is almost along the lines of somebody like Peter Gabriel where he's a guy that goes off in the different 
directions, mm. but it's still definitively him. Yes, and I, I mean, so, you know, and I think Gabriel, you know, like I say, like Gabriel with his production, you know, he was known for his pristine production. Stephen Wilson's the same way. There's nothing that the guy doesn't touch that just doesn't sound immaculate, you know? No, absolutely. He puts a lot of time and attention into the sound. And he's also an engineer and mixer of note because he's been sort of like going through the back catalog of XTC and Jethro Tull and, and King Crimson right. and remixing and remastering their albums. Now, I'm not necessarily going to go out and buy remasters of many albums that I already have but I, I just find it fascinating he's he's a music fan he, right he, and he's, he's saying right I'm taking this opportunity to put my tasteful stamp with the band's permission on great albums just bringing it up to sound so I'd be interested in hearing something that maybe I don't already have a really a great musician composer and engineer of note so three other things I just want to point out one of them which I only just sort of thought to write down while we were talking Dave Rawlings put out a new album this year poor David's almanac and I mean look you know just there's he and Gillian Welsh, they just can't put a foot wrong. Their concerts here at the Palais Theatre, beginning of 2016, probably I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. Whoever thought that just two guitars and two voices could absolutely knock it out of a park, but they really did. Their songwriters are great note, and I tend to think that even though you know they go some albums under her name, some albums under his name, and they still sound like the two of them, but I, I think that he sort of has a more of an old-timey feel to his songs, and she's a lot more of this, I don't know, whatever you call gothic, country a lot more dark in her outlook and the albums if you listen carefully they are distinct they are or distinctive i should say uh so yeah paul david's almanac is another winner i really really love it those guys just can't put a foot wrong a box set which i picked up this year very inexpensively from a well nominally he's a jazz pianist brad meldow and i like he's been playing with his trio for many many years uh, and he put out a couple of great albums in the last 10 15 years with pat Metheny. but this album well this four cd box set features tunes he's recorded over a 10-year period at live concerts Uh, i'm not sure if they were like solo spots with his trio as the whole concert or they were just solo concerts in general but to yes he is a jazz pianist but to listen to these there's a lot more going on here he loves the build-up he takes pop songs so he does some radiohead he does some jeff buckley does some beach boys like he does his 16 minute take on god only knows and like the first few minutes you recognize where he's going and then he just goes off into a different place but he's not playing the songs like a typical jazz pianist for him i really can't describe it it's but it's all about the build-up and he i think he's sort of like a jazz pianist with a classical bent but it's nothing of it has the sweep of classical music i'm not selling this very well but there's just something about his approach to the music that really really touches me so 10 years solo live brad meldow great four cd box set and the final album i want to mention i'm ashamed i didn't think to uh, write it in the list but you mentioned before tim the name king gizzard and the lizard wizard so they put out five albums this year well actually four that i know of, but max reckons that there was a fifth one release so at least four or five albums this year and the third one called tales of east brunswick every album had a different slant stylistically that they go to show well you can't pin us down we're going to do something different each time and how do i describe this i look i'm not even going to you can't <laughs> I, I can't but if, if you're sort of thinking of uh, king gizzard as a purely psychedelic or garage rock band think again tales of east brunswick is something different yet again there's a touch of the psychedelia there but there's 
flutes and all sorts of things going on here. A little bit of jazz, but you can't put this into words. But if you're, if you're a King Gizzard fan or if you're a fan of diversity, go search out this album, Tales of East Brunswick. A great album. So that finishes off all our recommendations. Now, one thing I want to mention, and Eric, you started alluding to it earlier on this year. One of the exciting things for me was we've been talking to each other as friends over the Skype podcast and Facebook for you know quite a few years now. But for me, this year was so exciting because I got to meet both of you in the flesh. Tim, you were our guest here for a couple of weeks in January and on my own travels to uh, Canada and to New York in July of this year. We stayed for a week in just outside Toronto at uh, Will Smith's place. Will Smith, the host of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, he treated us. He was so gracious. He and his beautiful family gave us a wonderful time. And so I got to meet uh, yourself. You drove up, Eric, from Ann yep. Arbor, a, a four-hour drive, I think, was it? Or something like that? Yeah, something. It was, you know, traffic and weather and, you know, bridges ca- caused it to be a little bit more, but that was fine. And, and, yeah, it was a couple hours. And custom, half day, three quarters of a day. Yeah, well, border customs having to go through. So meeting yourself and getting to meet Mike White at the projection booth and Scotty mm-hmm. Clickers and Will and John Ross and Nathan Boot so from Feed My Ears and Vish just getting to meet mm-hmm. all these wonderful people it's really really thrilled me have a drink and have a meal break bread uh, with all you people and that's something I've been truly truly grateful for uh, your friendship your advice the things that you've turned me on to musically getting to be in the same room as you and it was like when we met it was like it was not like a first time meeting it was well yeah sure we've known oh, each no. other for ages we're just now in the same room oh yeah I know I mean the, the day I got off the plane and I see you and Max and I'm just like Come here, Max. Give me a hug. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was phenomenal. That was phenomenal. I mean, you know, and I got, you know, you taking me on the tour of the record stores of Melbourne and getting down to basement and then getting down to uh, what's his name's record store, uh, the garage store. Uh, I really uh, love off the hip, off the hip, off the hip. Yeah. And and that, that was a fantastic place, too. And. You know, just getting the opportunity, actually even getting to meet one of my heroes, Kim Salmon, too. That was a blast. I mean, going to see him in a tiny little place. And, yeah, I mean, just all of it, too, man. And, you know, and just especially getting to hang with you and the family and the day we had the barbecue. And that was just phenomenal. Like, that was one of the best days of 2017 for me. Far none, yep. you know. Yep. That, well, between that and the barbecue that we had at uh, Will's place in July, it was absolutely amazing. So that's what this yeah, it was show... great to see everybody and hang out. So. Mm, mm. That, well, that, I mean, that's what this... And everyone came from a long distance, really, because, I mean, you know, John... John I hope Ross, they didn't hit the wall. Uh, no, <laughs> and there was no skunk at this time around. I'm sorry, Tim. No. John Ross had driven, uh, I think, like, you know, 200 kilometers from his town of London to get to mm-hmm. uh, Will's place. And you know, Nathan had driven a bit of a distance, and you and Mike White, had driven it up from Michigan so really I, I just count myself as extremely lucky that I was able to travel was able to meet you guys and that you know Tim you were able to come here I'll look forward to the next time I can do this and I know that this sort of sounds like a bit of an indulgent part of the show but it's just something I wanted to emphasize that we've forged these friendships you know the the music is where it started but you know, we've got real friendships out of this and um, yeah I, absolutely I'm, I just want you guys to know I'm grateful for that <laughs> oh thank you I'm pulling a loaf here yeah that's right I got a question for you guys real quick looking forward to 2018 are there any records you're aware of that you are excited to hear I haven't sort of been paying attention as to what's going to be coming out in the new year I know that I've got a bunch of shows that I'm going to that I'm excited for but I'm not right. actually aware of what's musically coming out on CD 
Uh, I'm going in a couple of weeks to see the Fleet Foxes, which uh, I'm really very excited about. I mentioned to you earlier on, Tim, I'm taking Max to see Thundercat in March at the Prince of Wales Hotel, seeing Ben Folds at the zoo of all places in uh, <laughs> in February so uh, some wow. great some great shows coming up oh, oh sorry and um, band I have spoken about before on Love That Album The Grapes are going to be doing a rare show in January I think as a support for another band can't remember the name of the pub they're playing in but yeah well, so yeah a few gigs I'm looking forward to going to see but I can't okay. think who's releasing anything anything that uh, you know of that you're looking forward to The Damned are recording a new album that's all I know but if, of course that's going to be one I'm going to be looking forward to right. It came out just recently, but the one thing I'm I'm looking forward to listening to and getting my hands on is that new Husker Du set, the Angry Young Du. Oh yeah, I'm mentioning that. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I had already listened to it, so I mean, listen all those tracks, so it didn't count as something I hadn't listened to, so that's why I didn't mention it. Is this all like live stuff or uh, stuff that left on the cutting room floor, or what is it? <laughs> well, um, is it? this is a, a lot of the singles remastered. It was a lot of the live early live stuff that had come from soundboards. It, it was a comp a collection of just the early demo I think there's de- like there's demo tracks on it like it's just all the the earlier Husker do when they when they were starting out and it's incredible that band because to me you wouldn't believe it but like you know you would ask me before you know when I said there was a, a definite Beatles comparison and you said you didn't hear it but when they originally started they were covering stuff like Buddy Holly and the Beatles and other things and you know and they went from being kind of having a melodic start to going into cacophony and then ending up their career on a melodic uh, high note. Right, right. So, you know, so they weren't always the, the, the kind of, you know, blistering, screaming punks. I mean, you know, it's interesting to see the transition. But anyways, that's what I want to get my hands on is that, that new box set. Cool. Do you know if Bob Mould's got anything on the uh, horizon in 2018? I'm sure he does. I mean, you know, that guy's pretty prolific. I mean, you know, I don't think that he he, he gets out there and, and plays live as long as he wants to get something out to basically promote. If he's releasing something next year, then there you go. There's your answer. I'm looking forward to it. And yeah. Bob Mould will put that in 2018. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners out there, thanks very much for tuning in again to the show this year. I hope that we've covered some stuff that you've enjoyed. You've dug on the discussions, maybe thought of a few new albums that you might want to search out, and we'll be doing this all again in 2018. Eric, start working. You've got another episode to prepare for January. You know, get back to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I look forward to having more conversations with more wonderful people. Some of the people I've been talking to in the past got to bring back, and maybe some new ones. Who knows? Uh, it's all been a lot of fun. And also, um, just a quick shout out to our compadre in the See Here podcast, Mr. Bernard Stickwell. Really enjoy doing see here as well over uh, over the last 12 months sticky fingers sticky fingers so I, I, I told you that um, stiff little fingers are playing here I think next month so I'm pretty sure that Bernie's sort of like getting his tickets to come down here and check him out <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah he's, he's a big fan so I believe so. yeah I think it, yeah, that's what I've they're, heard. Called, they're called they're called stick little fingers yeah <laughs> that's the tribute band yeah so um, yeah, anyway uh, thanks very much once again to uh, all you listeners out there and until we talk again in January be nice to each other listen to some great music feel free to make some recommendations on the Facebook page facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album let your friends know out there let your music loving friends out there know that we exist until we speak again happy holidays be safe everybody be good bye